Odd Trails contains adult language and content. These stories can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I'm 29, and I live on the East Coast. This is going to be a bit long, but I need to explain the night of this major incident that caused the paranormal events to occur. When I was a sophomore in high school, about 14 years ago, something terrible happened to my community, and more specifically, my neighborhood and close friends. When you're that age, you start getting into boys and dating, so my close group of friends consisted of guys and girls, many of us seeing one another. There was my best friend Kate and her boyfriend Steve, my one-time boyfriend, but now friend and neighbor Trevor, and their other guy friends, James, Kevin, and Caleb. One night in September, my best friend Kate got into a fight with her boyfriend Steve. Steve was the only one of us that was old enough to drive, so ordinarily, he would pick us up on the weekends. We would all pile into his car without seatbelts and we'd just cruise around, try to buy some beer and hang out all night. Though on this night, because of their argument, Kate and I went to a party and Steve and his guy friends went and did their own thing without us. At the party, we had a few beers, as kids that age usually do, and Steve and his friends went to another party to hang out and drink. At the end of the night, once we got home to Kate's house, I remember Kate and Steve fighting and him saying that he was driving, so he had to go. He just hung up on her suddenly and then wouldn't pick up when she tried calling him back. Eventually, we fell asleep after a good helping of pizza rolls. It was still dark when Kate's mom woke us up. She told us that there had been an incident. Apparently, Steve didn't hang up on Kate. He had lost control of the car at that moment and dropped his phone, which hung up by accident. Steve was going 75 in a 25 zone. He was drunk and took a curve on the road far too quickly, which caused him to overcorrect and then smash straight into a cinder block wall. Steve was immediately knocked out, as was Caleb behind him. Both were in critical condition, but their side of the car wasn't the one to make direct contact with the wall. Trevor, James, and Kevin were killed on impact. Their bodies too destroyed to identify without dental records. The accident shook my town. The next few months went by in a daze. I went to three funerals in one week, and everything seemed to blend together. To precede the following events, I have to tell you that I get sleep paralysis from time to time. Usually, if I'm stressed, or if I watch or think of something scary before bed. 
I'm sure many of your listeners will know what sleep paralysis is, but just in case they don't, it's basically when your body is half asleep and half awake. Your body has already released the chemicals that keep you from moving in your sleep, so you're basically lying down, unable to move or speak, but aware of everything around you. This state of consciousness will often come with visual and audible hallucinations of the scary variety. I often see a dark figure hovering above me. This is common. On the night of my incident with Trevor, I was not experiencing sleep paralysis. I remember going to bed and something, perhaps a noise or a feeling, woke me up. My bed was against the wall and faced my closet, which didn't have a door, so I could see directly into it. I remember lying there and not being able to take my eyes off of the closet. It felt like there was something in there, staring back at me. Suddenly, I started seeing this figure emerge from the dark. It was hazy at first, with different shades of black and white. The figure stood there, and it started to take the shape of a person. Its body became more clear. The only way I can describe the substance that made up this person is static from an old TV. That's what this figure was made of. At first, he moved very slowly. And I say he because I had this overwhelming feeling deep inside that I knew it was Trevor. I knew that he needed my help. Just as he stepped into the doorway of my dark closet, his body jolted forward and he was by my side faster than anything I had ever seen. He must have traveled 20 feet in half a second. Right at that moment, he grabbed me and started screaming, Help me! I'm dying! Why won't you save me? Don't let me die, please! You can save me! His screams were loud. They hurt my ears. I thought there was no way that my parents would sleep through this, and they would rush in at any moment. I covered my ears and yelled back, Trevor, please tell me what to do. I don't know how to help you. Just tell me. I will help you. I remember him grabbing my arm so tightly that it burned. He was there for what felt like hours, but I'm sure it was only a minute or two. Eventually, he fell silent, and just as quick as he arrived, he was sucked back into the closet and disappeared. As soon as he disappeared, I remember blinking, and it was over. Looking back now, I'm not sure if I blinked, or if I actually woke up from a dream at that moment. But if that was a dream, it was the most realistic dream I've ever had. I remember my room, my bed sheets, and even my clothes being the same as when I went to bed that night. Dream or not, I believe that Trevor came to me that night looking for help. I don't know if he was stuck on his side of things, or if he was reliving the accident and needed help but he came to me looking for something. I just didn't know what to do. After my experience, which had taken place a few weeks after the accident, the phone call started. Per Trevor's friend's request, Trevor's parents kept his cell phone paid for and active so we could call his phone and listen to his voicemail, which was this rap that he made up. They kept the cell phone turned off, but still paid for it every month so we could call his number 
when you left Trevor a voicemail, you felt like he would hear it. A couple of weeks after Trevor came into my room, his turned-off cell phone called my cell phone. I picked it up and said hello, but all I heard was static. I remember drilling his family, asking if they had called me. They swore up and down that Trevor's phone was switched off and kept in a drawer in their office. No one used his cell phone. Trevor's phone called me a few more times over the next few months. Each time, there was static on the other end. Now, I'm not sure what to make of these events, but something tells me it was Trevor trying to communicate something to me. I have always been sensitive to feeling when a spirit is around and occasionally seeing one ever since I was a baby. My parents told me that I refused to sleep in a crib in a haunted room at my grandma's house. To this day, I refuse to go into that room. While I was in high school, that was when the feelings were always the strongest. Maybe it was all that teenage Midwest angst. At the time, I was dating a guy who we can call Jake. Jake was also sensitive to these sorts of things. So as you can imagine, spirits and unexplained things happened around us all the time when we were together. One night, I was over at Jake's house and his brother was visiting from college. We were all hanging out in the basement talking. The conversation turned to ghosts and I told Jake that he should tell his brother about all the ghosts and spirits that were at my grandma's house. I brought him over once to see what was there. He found several harmless, wandering spirits that come and go, but found a roaming dark entity and another dark entity in the room with the baby crib. He told me that while he was in that room, he watched a black hand reach from under the old hospital bed in the room. He told me to never go into that room. No problem. Jake finishes telling the others about all these things he has seen and we all agree how creepy it is. Then we hear a cat meow from under the coffee table that's between us. They have a cat, but it's a strictly outside cat. The windows aren't open as it's a little too chilly outside for that. We fell silent and looked at the table and then each other. Is the cat outside? I asked. Yeah, there's nothing under the table, Jake said. Suddenly, I get an immense feeling of dread and darkness latch onto my back. I began to have a panic attack as I feel I am being watched with malice behind me against the far wall. I look and I see nothing. Jake notices my distress and asks me what's wrong. There's something behind me, watching me. I choke out between gasps of air. Jake looks behind me and holds me closer. I want to go home. 
Okay, can you drive? Dude, she doesn't look good to drive, his brother said. I'll drive then. Will you follow in your car so I can get home? Yeah, you guys get out, and I'll be out in a minute. Jake steers me towards the stairs, and I quietly creep up, as to not wake his parents. I felt some relief leaving the basement, and Jake hugged me as he walked me to the door. As we hug, I feel Jake hold me tighter, and I turn my head to see a dark figure out of the dining room window. I scream in pure terror and drop to my knees. His brother bolts up the stairs, and their dad emerges from his room. They tell him I just got scared by the cat, and not to worry, I am being taken home. I get in the passenger side of my car, and am shaking violently. Jake tries to talk to me on the way, and calm me down, but I'm too scared to talk. The ten minute drive home felt like it took a lifetime, but we eventually made it to my house. Jake tells me to sit in the car while he goes to talk to his brother. I get out of my car, and Jake escorts me to my room, lit by his phone's flashlight as everyone is asleep. I get into bed and beg Jake to stay, but we both knew we had school in the morning, so he couldn't. He made sure I was okay, and put a protective barrier around me for the night. I will come by tomorrow and protect the house, Jake said. I nodded and watched him leave. I laid in darkness, still too shaken up to sleep, and looked around my room. As my eyes scanned the room, they passed the far corner, and my heart drops. In that corner stood a tall, menacing, black figure, much darker than anywhere else in the room. I still have never seen anything that dark. Fear washed over me. What is it? Is that the thing that's been attached to me? What did I do? I wanted to watch it to make sure it didn't move. Something in me told me not to look at it. I rolled over and turned my back to it. I take just one more peek, and it still hasn't moved. I look away and lay there in fear, waiting for something to happen. And then, I wake up to my alarm, with every light in my room turned on. I silence my phone and double-check that it is daytime. The morning light shined through my curtains, and my room was extra bright from the lights. I turn them off and get ready for school. I ask my parents and my sister if they went into my room while I was sleeping, but they all say that they didn't. I texted Jake about it and tried to get some answers from last night. He tells me not to talk about it, but the lights were most likely from my guardian angel. We eventually talked and he told me that what I saw was the entity that's been attached to me for years since I was a kid, and it got very upset that night. He told me I needed to be very careful and ignore anything weird that happens as it will only get worse if I react. Over the next few months, he did what he could to weaken the entity and keep me protected from it. I've only had minor instances since then, and I hope that whatever was on me has left.
If that's not the case, then I at least hope to never see it again. A few years ago, I experienced something strange. I have a daybed, and my head lies on an empty side with no furniture on that end of the bed. So anyone can easily stand behind me right by my head. And trust me, after this happened, I added a desk right behind me so that something like what I'm about to tell you doesn't happen again. I was sleeping, and I do not know what time this occurred, but I woke up. It was dark. My body felt heavy. My eyelids could barely open. I felt somebody in my room, like a presence. I felt it by my head standing right above. I did my best to move and look up, but I could barely see. What I managed to see was this tall, shadowy figure of a man. I tried talking and saying something, but I couldn't form words. I just heard the voice say, It's going to be okay. But that voice was coming from my head, not from his presence. Either way, those words didn't feel threatening. My body felt heavy and tired. I went back to sleep. When I woke up the next day, I could still remember what happened that night. I assumed it was a nightmare, but it just didn't feel like a nightmare. It felt so real, and it continued to bug me throughout the day. I told my friend what happened, and all of my experience... She told me that it may have been sleep paralysis, which I knew it could be a possibility, but I wasn't scared of this being or presence, and I wasn't completely paralyzed. I was still able to move, just not easily. A few days later, I decided to tell my mom about this experience. She told me, around the time that I experienced that, she also had something similar happen to her. My mom usually wakes up at 5 a.m. to work out at home and prepare her lunch as well as my dad's lunch for work. She said that she was washing dishes one morning and she felt this presence like it was standing right behind her. It got close to her ear and face. She even felt breathing. That's when she turned around. She thought that it was me because I usually sneak up on her or scare her. But to my mom's surprise, nobody was behind her. She walked out of the kitchen, looked around scared because it felt so real. But no one and nothing was around. This haunts me to this day because it wasn't my first time experiencing a presence like this. When I was younger, we lived at another house and I felt a presence in my room there at night as well. I remember feeling some weight on my blankets by my feet. And no, I didn't have any pets. I sat up a bit to peek at what was at the end of my bed and saw what looked like a figure or a shadow of a woman with her upper body lying on the edge of the bed as she looked at me while I slept. I whispered, Mom? There was no response. I put my head back down and turned my back against the presence and I slowly pulled the sheets over my head and began praying. I managed to fall asleep and the next day I asked my mom if she had come into my room that night. She said no. I was terrified, but I didn't mention what happened. 
as I listen to other people's experiences on podcasts and I read things, I believe it may be shadow people. From what I've read, shadow people are evil entities, and people usually see them from their peripherals, which I usually experience sometimes when I'm home alone. I always try to play it off like my brain is playing games on me, but it can get scary seeing someone cross by in your peripherals while you're home alone. I constantly feel like I'm being watched when I'm alone, so maybe evil has this hook in me, or maybe I need to cleanse my house. Luckily, nothing too bad has happened to me just yet, but I pray nothing ever does. My friend Valerie and I were home from college during the summer of 2006. We grew up on a rural barrier island on the east coast. On this day, Valerie's friend, a kayak instructor, invited us to join a kayak tour for free in a marshy wildlife refuge. The wildlife refuge is on national park land, so these miles of marsh and ocean beach do not have houses or urban development. When we exited our car and approached the narrow path that leads to the marsh, we were immediately swarmed by biting flies and retreated back to the car. Arriving a few minutes late, we saw the tour had already set off in the distance, so we changed our adventure plans. Being an hour-long drive to this stretch of undeveloped beach, we figured we might as well enjoy ourselves. We drove a little ways to park on the side of the road, on the ocean side. There were no other cars parked and no beach access nearby. We were the only people for miles. I want to emphasize how desolate this beach was at this time. It is near a cape, so the wind and waves are harsher. Storms can kick up fast, and the sun is more intense. You are more exposed to the elements there almost like walking through a desert. We climbed over many sets of tall sand dunes until we came upon an abandoned life-saving station. If you aren't familiar, life-saving stations were wooden buildings every six miles on the beach where a crew of surfmen lived during the hurricane season to keep watch for and rescue shipwrecks. These were built in the 1800s and functioned until the 1940s. Then they were replaced by the Coast Guard. The stations had watchtowers, pulley systems, rowboats, horses and carts, and other equipment. This area is called the Graveyard of the Atlantic because ships smash into the hidden shallow reefs. It was a very small town at the time, so trespassing in abandoned buildings was a legitimate pastime for us. We felt we had no reason to fear. Again, there was no one around. The windows and doors of the station were completely boarded up in a hurricane-proof way. There was a chain-link fence around it, but the wind had blown up so much sand on it you could step right over the fence. We climbed up to the porch because the stairs were washed away. Valerie managed to partially pry a board open on the door 
just enough for us to squeeze through the narrow gap. Then the board bent back in place. Inside was pitch black. You couldn't see your own hands. It was completely silent, enough to hear your heartbeat. The air was stagnant and stale because the boarded-up windows and doors had blocked any airflow for who knows how many years. It was a weird sensory experience, being that we were at a sunny, very windy beach. It was so dark inside that we ran back to the car to grab finger flashlights. Remember those? They strapped to your finger like a ring and were about the size of a modern USB flash drive. The light provided a dim circle about the size of a softball, but it was better than pitch blackness. This was in 2006, so our cell phones didn't have flashlights yet. So we're back inside the life-saving station with our tiny finger flashlights. The light was barely enough to make out a door frame or staircase, so we moved slowly and cautiously, holding each other's hands or shoulders so as to not lose one another. There was no furniture. It had narrow hallways with low ceilings, like old houses do. We slowly climbed up the spiral staircase to the top of the watchtower. The windows up there were boarded up too. It was three stories high. We thoroughly explored every floor. We were tense the whole time because of how dark, silent, and stagnant the air was. After about 15 minutes, back on the second floor, crouching over to see our way with the finger flashlight, Valerie found a dark splatter on the wooden floor. She found a tiny stick and scraped at the splatter. She said, This looks like dried blood. The splatter led to a trail. We followed it very, very slowly into a bathroom with three doorless stalls and a big mirror on the wall. We shined our flashlights on the mirror and could faintly make out our reflections. As we stared into the mirror, the silence suddenly broke by two sets of tiny footsteps running across the floor above us. We looked at each other, eyes wide, and we bolted. Was someone else in the building? Was a cop called because someone saw us trespassing? Valerie remembers scanning the sand-covered porch for other footprints while I slid past the board on the door. But there were no footprints. Terrified, we silently ran over the sets of tall sand dunes, panting and sweating, finally catching our breath once we made it back to the car. We drove home, full of adrenaline and questions. We confirmed what each other heard. We told our friends of the experience, and word traveled fast throughout the small town. High school students would visit at night with night vision goggles and cameras. I even joined them once to point out where the sound happened. They all wanted to see a ghost or debunk our encounter, but no one ever saw or heard anything or anyone. They told us that what we heard was the wind. Fast forward to 2020, and I happened to read a history novel about the crew who worked at this life-saving station. They were all black and had an outstanding record of rescues. Unfortunately, in 1881, 
there was a tragic shipwreck. Two small children and a baby were ripped from their mother's arms by the treacherous sea and drowned. One of the children was carried into the life-saving station to be resuscitated, but did not make it. Because the experience Valerie and I had was not tainted by any evil sensations or presence, I like to think that the footsteps we heard were the children happily playing together. It was absolutely footfall and could not have been anything else. Definitely running, too. I sometimes wonder if an unhoused person had set up camp in the station, so to speak. But we didn't see any signs of this. It would be a terrible place to bunk up, in my opinion, with how dark it is. But maybe we woke them up. Could the blood have been from someone using drugs in there and perhaps messing up their vein? Or maybe two houseless people got into a fight? These are all things I've pondered to explain away the ghosts, but I still think it was a ghost. Let me tell you briefly about the layout of my house. When you came to the top of the stairs, where all the bedrooms were, to your immediate left was my parents' room. If you turned right, there was only a couple of meters of hallway, and then there was my room. The night this happened, I woke up for some reason. I wasn't certain why I had woken up, but I was suddenly wide awake and I sat up. In the doorframe, I suddenly saw what I can only describe as lightning. It started at the top left of my bedroom door and then zigzagged down the door frame and landed on the floor. I remember this being the first time I ever felt terror. I had a hot face. My blood was cold. I can feel that moment today just thinking about it. I screamed out for my mom. And my mom is truly the best. She's wonderful and always dealt with me sleeping in her bed for way too long before this. But I screamed and my mom yelled from her room down the hall. What? What is it? I yelled back. I'm so scared. Can you come get me? Let me sleep in your room? She yelled back, no, go to sleep. Now I cannot remember a time other than this that my mom has ever said no to me sleeping in her bed. But it's very likely that she could have. And because these weren't traumatic events, I've simply forgotten about them. I'm 37 now. There is the possibility that she was tired. I know, now having kids, it's not all bonding and sweetness when they crawl into bed with you. They will take up the entire bed, kick and punch in their sleep, and it's usually a bit of a pain. So who could blame her? The next day, my dad was watching the news. I remember seeing that there had been calls regarding a sighting of a UFO in the greater Toronto area, which is where I'm from. I remember that I didn't much care for it when my dad tried to watch the news because we didn't have iPads or smart tablets or anything like that as a kid. This was grown-up TV, and it was boring. Until I heard that, I remember finding it weird. And then later on, at dinner, 
my mom started talking to me and she said, did you have a bad dream last night? And I told her about what I saw. She said, well, you should have just come to bed with me. I felt really bad. So when I told you that you couldn't come to bed within seconds, I told you to come in, but you had fallen right back to sleep. Now I fully remember yelling out to her. I remember being wide awake and there was no way I could have fallen back to sleep. I have no memory of her calling me. And this was not a long hallway. I would have heard her. This combined with the sightings really scared me. I remember the event clear as day. This is about the worst nightmare I have ever had. I was a senior high school student, 18 years old. For a little background, I was heavily bullied and harassed by about eight or nine guys in my class for stupid reasons. The other girls in the class just sat there, saying nothing and sometimes even laughing while I was being bullied. Seeing other people emotionally suffer must be hilarious to some people. I was also trying to get ready for my university entrance exam. With my raging teenage hormones, I had developed severe depression during these times. I was practically a zombie. I don't remember the exact date, but one night I had a terrible nightmare. I was walking in a green field and saw a tree. One of my bullies was sitting on the tree, but his left arm was missing. We didn't talk. I just kept on walking. The green field suddenly dried up and turned yellow. The trees lost their leaves and were completely bare. And when I looked down to the ground, I saw people half buried. Their heads and their hands were visible but most of their bodies were buried. They were looking at me with vacant eyes. I didn't see anyone I actually knew. My brain probably just conjured up some faces. Even as I am typing this, I still get a weird feeling in my chest. While I was looking at the half-buried people, my vision suddenly became pitch black. I couldn't see anything. And then a voice started speaking to me. The voice told me, those half-buried people are the people who have wronged me. I remember thinking to myself that one of the girls who laughed at my bullying was among the sea of bodies. But again, I didn't actually see her face, and I didn't recognize any of the faces. But after this voice spoke to me, I definitely felt like she was there. Let's call her Amy, because she will be mentioned again. When I woke up, I was in shock. It was still dark, and I looked at the clock next to my bed. Believe it or not, it was 3 a.m. Much later, I learned that this was the witching hour. I got out of bed. My older brother was awake, so I went to his room. He looked at me and asked what happened. Then I started crying. 
I was terrified. But weirdly enough, I wasn't scared during the nightmare, but I was terrified after I woke up. I couldn't sleep that night. In the morning, when I got on the school bus, my best friend, who was also my classmate and who was also bullied, immediately knew something was wrong. I told her about my nightmare and she was shocked as well. Later on at school, a student knocked on the door and told the teacher that Amy was being called by her family and that she needed to go downstairs to speak with them. Everybody knew that something was wrong. My chest clenched. I can't describe the horror I was feeling at that moment. The student escorted a very nervous Amy out of the classroom. When she came back to collect her bags, she was crying. She had lost her 14-year-old cousin in a car accident. After this, I tried to cope with guilt, even though I knew it wasn't my fault. I was angry at my bullies, but I never, ever thought of wishing them or their loved ones any harm in any way. That sort of thing never even crossed my mind, but because I dreamt about it, I was blaming myself. Not anymore, though. It has been 11 years by now. I have a good life. I have a family who loves me, and I am surrounded by friends who love me dearly. I am proud to say I am still best friends with my friend from high school, and I am in contact with our friends who also endured that severe bullying. We are all very accomplished and happy women now. If you are somebody who is bullied, I know this is very cliche to say, but stay strong. You will survive this. I have never had a seemingly prophetic nightmare like this ever again. And I really hope I never do. You know, all of the bullying in that story, I can relate. And growing up a nerd in the late 90s, early 2000s, before it was cool, I guess it's... Don't you hate that? So Don't cool you hate that? to be a nerd nowadays. Yeah. I hate it so much. It's like, where were yeah. you guys when I was a kid? It's not Now they fair. want to be just like us. Exactly. But at least we fit in now. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it just, uh, I can relate to it, growing up a nerd, and also a very sheltered Christian kid. My first time in a public school, I, I did private school and homeschool until eighth grade. And eighth grade was my first year in public school. I was not prepared for that, man. Not only, no, not at eighth grade. No, dude. Eighth grade kids are evil. Like, yep. pure evil. You know this. <laughs> I do. I do. You absolutely know this. And I, I had such a hard time. I, I got picked on, beat up. I I and I had no I had no uh no fight in me. I had nothing. I had nothing to come back with because I didn't have a personality yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was just this empty vessel that was filled up with religion and zero social interaction. So it was just the perfect storm, not to mention I was covered in acne. I was like one of those like medically 
uh, acne filled kids. Like it was, I had to get really heavy prescriptions, prescription drugs to deal with it. So I just stood out like the perfect target for everybody in the school. I think there were only a couple of people that were really nice to me and they were only nice to me because they felt bad for me. (laughs) They were just good people. It it was a horror story. I could write a whole movie about my eighth grade experience. Let's do it. We can work on the script together. I can throw in my stories. We can get our buddy Dennis Callow to direct it for us. Dude, let's make a movie about bullying. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Bully? There's a movie called Bully? I know there's a video game called Bully. That's a good one. But yeah, the movie Bully is dark. It's about an actual murder that took place. There was this evil friend or like a frenemy of sorts who just bullied everybody around him. And then this group of teenagers decided, let's just kill him. Oh my God. It took place in Florida. (laughs) And you know, everything good happens in Florida. But yeah, it's, it's a dark one. It's a really dark one. And Leo Fitzpatrick is in it. The guy who played Telly from Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, kids, another dark one. I watched that way Oof. too young. I watched that when I was 11. My 11? uncle like, yeah. Oh, I meant when I say way too young, I was like 15 and I still feel like that's too young. That's it's just, yeah. I was 11. scarred. My, uh, <laughs> I was over at my aunt and uncle's house and then they all left with my mom and my siblings and my uncle was like, I got some movies here. Just watch whatever you want. Kids is pretty good. Might be too much for you though. So, of course, he manipulated me into watching it by myself. And oh, God. I'm surprised I didn't become like some sexual maniac or some other sort of delinquent. But yeah. no, I turned out fine. I guess you did. I mean, I think you did as far as I yeah. know. <laughs> as far as you know, as far as the world is concerned, yeah. I'm quite normal. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's make a movie about bullying. That would be so much fun. Even if it's a short film, I'm sure Dennis would be into it. Um, So... I have an update on our haunted doll situation. I did order one. Hell yeah, brother. Um, I'm going to send you a picture of it right now. Uh-huh. Uh, hold on. Let's see. Brandon. Okay. Um, check your texts. Oh, uh, got it. Okay. Check it out. Ooh, I love it. And you, you know why I love it. I know why you love it because it has clown makeup on. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so it's this antique looking doll with uh looks like a porcelain head with the thing is it doesn't look like a clown doll it looks like a child doll but with clown makeup on um it has like this like almost uh frizzy straw looking hair a striped shirt a red jacket a scarf which is cute fashionable um i like scarves and these plaid pants and black shoes it it's very creepy. It's very, very creepy. I bought this for us because it uh, it had the clown face and it it is a haunted doll. It's named and okay, I'll just I'll just read the description here from the posting. Spirit of Jesse Pickles Smith, very active, positive. Is Pickles Smith hyphenated? Is that like a double last name going on? No, but there are quotes around Pickles, like it's a middle nickname or something. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So Jesse Pickles Smith. Okay, here's the story. While very sweet and kind, Pickles, as she likes to call herself, can be a bit mischievous at times. I'm selling this doll, possessed with the spirit of a 10-year-old girl, because she's keeping my mother up at night with her incessant giggling. (laughs) I was always sort of comforted by this sound, but my mother, who just moved in with me, says that it's driving her crazy. She keeps blaming me for leaving the TV or radio on at night 
as she doesn't really believe in the spirit of quote unquote pickles. I don't know why she likes to be called pickles, but during a Ouija board session we held shortly after I came into possession of the doll, we learned that she's a young girl of 10 years old that likes to be called pickles. Precious. Precious, I know. Precious little pickles. So how she came to possess the body of the doll is a mystery to us all. She is, however, very active. As I said, she's a bit mischievous, giggling throughout the halls, all hours of the night, turning lights on and off, and often hiding from me. I'll find her days later in a completely different place in the house from where I left her. She's even communicated with me telepathically, I feel I have this strong connection with her, so it pains me to have to give her up. Now, I feel like I'm going to have a similar issue with my wife as she did with her mom. Uh, If there's any activity or anything creepy going on, my wife is not going to have it. She's going to want me to get rid of it. So, Well, I will happily adopt Pickles. Okay, good, good. I don't know why she's scared of dolls. I think that it's um, sort of just... It's sort of like my clown thing. Even though I'm scared of clowns, I want this doll. But uh, I think it has to do with probably like a movie or something that she watched when she was a kid about dolls. Probably Poltergeist. That's always the one that does people in. There you go. Poltergeist is so scary. I've never been scared of dolls necessarily. And I think it's public knowledge now that I like clowns Mm -hmm. to some extent. But what did scare me as you were mentioning this whole thing about seeing movies as a kid and whatnot... Of all things, it was in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid when the baby is roaming around Las Vegas. I don't know. Oh, yeah, like Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. That scared me, even though the baby was happy and playing. But what traumatized me, apparently, was when he picked up that guitar and they shot that, like, electrocution bullet at him. Yeah, and he, like, cried. Yeah, yeah. Even though it was, like, a brief second, that traumatized me. Like, that poor child, like, he's... A thousand times his size. He just got electrocuted. He's making a big public spectacle. And no, that just traumatized me when I saw that as a kid. That did that. The same thing happened to me now that you bring that up. I completely forgot about that. And when they Mm -hmm. electrocuted him and he was, did he like fall down on his butt and like, uh, it like shook the ground and he started crying. It's been about 20 plus years. I don't remember it. It's really sad. Yeah. uh, Honey, I blew up the kid. Pretty good sequel. I liked it. Um, but I, I do want to go back to the bullying stories. You don't, you don't seem like somebody who got bullied a lot. Do you, do you have <laughs> any good stories? Uh, I don't know if you want to call them good, but no, I was very nerdy too. Not a ladies man, not many friends. Uh, yeah. This one guy in high school jabbed me in the ribs with his knuckles hard enough to leave bruises. <sighs> and yeah, it was rough. But then one day I just told myself, no, nope, next time he does it. I'm just going to punch him in the face. And that's exactly what happened. Did you do it? I did, of course. I just had enough. And by then, I had taken like two months of Jeet Kune Do, so I had a little bit of extra confidence. So then, yeah, I just decked him as hard as I could right in the nose. I didn't get in trouble for it. And then like a week later, we became kind of friends, like, you know, those school acquaintances. I guess he just formed a newfound respect for me. I still didn't like him, but I try to get along with everybody, so... That was that. And I don't condone violence, but I'm not necessarily a pacifist either. If somebody physically harms you, I'm definitely an eye for an eye kind of guy. It's kind of like the prison rules, according to that scene in Office Space. Yeah. The trick is to kick somebody's ass the first day or become somebody's bitch. Yeah. All I'm saying 
if somebody is already trying to make you their so-called bitch, it's not too late to kick their ass and take back your throne. I agree with you. Or if any underage listeners are slipping through the cracks right now, tell a parent or an adult you trust. There you go. That's the way to go. Honestly, I wish I would have done that more often when I was a kid. Yeah, for it would sure. Resolve so many problems. Remember the disclaimers back in the day about make sure you ask a parent or a guardian for permission before you go online. And now it's just the Wild West. We have 10-year-olds on Instagram and nobody seems to care. Yeah, it's crazy. You wouldn't download a car. What if I could? You know, do you remember the time we went to the river with your little brother and you were teaching me Jeet Kune Do? Yeah, (laughs) how to to intercept a punch. Yeah, Yeah, that shit works. I still uh, take a southpaw stance whenever I like play fighter, like get ready to fight or anything. You got to go southpaw. You got to keep yeah. your strong side forward, get that one good jab in. And then for me, because I, I prefer grappling, just set up those jabs, fake them out a bit and just go for that double leg and slam them on their head. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. That Only was a good day. To. That was a good day. I like We should do I it again. Let's go back and do that exact yeah, same let's day. Let's go back and go to the river. If there's still a river, last time I <sighs> went, which was seven, eight years ago, it was mm-hmm. all dried up. There was like dead fish and stuff all along the ground. Oh, but uh Anyway, I, I don't... Uh, that was a long-winded outro. It's been a while since we've talked, actually. We've both been really busy. You've been busy with yeah. work. I've been busy mm-hmm. finishing up with moving and podcast stuff. And uh, we just haven't had any time to catch up. So it was so nice to just, like, just chat here. Yeah, we're while. just hanging out right now. It doesn't even feel like an outro. No, it does not. Anyways, thanks, everyone, for listening. This week, you have heard. My friend visited me from beyond to ask for help by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. My scariest encounter by Skylar, Guardian Angel, Night Terror, or something more sinister by Brenda, The Life-Saving Station by Holly and Valerie, An Odd Story by Lynn, Half-Buried People by Lady Albane, and then a bunch of stuff like bullies, haunted dolls, and more from us, the boys. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you'd like to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. And finally, don't forget to check out the other podcasts at crypticcountypodcasts.com, like Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, and the old-time radio cast. We'll see y'all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.